Hey, next on the Teen Nation, thanks for tuning in and listening to this segment of the show featuring our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. And thank you very much for voting the show up to number two this month in the Podcast Magazine Hot 50 list for the June edition. Please keep voting. You can do so daily by going online to podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50. I really appreciate all of your support. Enjoy this segment of the show. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade. Golf's an interesting game because the better you hit the ball, the fewer shots you have to hit. That means the better you hit the ball, the less golf you actually have to play. That's why TaylorMade made the all-new Stealth Irons. TaylorMade Stealth Irons feature a cap-back design and a 3D toe wrap designed to help deliver increased distance throughout the bag and more forgiveness on those occasional, or maybe not so occasional, less-than-perfect shots. The result? Better shots more often, so you get to have more fun more often. So if you're the kind of golfer who wants to play less golf more often, try the all-new Stealth Irons from TaylorMade, Beyond Driven. All right, now back with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Tom is back up in Charlottesville, Virginia, for his second year at Farmington Country Club. So if you're in the Virginia, West Virginia, or D.C. areas, go see Tom over there and take your game to a whole new level this summer, folks. If you can't go see him in person, well, then download the V1 video app and send him videos of your golf swing. He can help get you dialed in through the app. Please check out his website, TomPatry.com, and give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram, at TomPatryGolf. Don't forget to subscribe to his YouTube channel, where you can watch nearly 150 free video playing lessons. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board, and he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? I'm I'm good, man. I'm just recovering from a couple days on the road, but I'm I'm good. Tom, I want to start our time tonight. We got got good news on U.S. Open side. We'll get to that in a minute because bad news always first. But the stuff going on with this live tour, my friend. Rumor has it that Brooks Kepka and Abraham Answer are going to be the next two to resign from the PGA Tour to go over and play on Live. Today there was a players-only meeting. The tour announced that next year they're going to be doing some limited field events with the top 50 players from the FedEx Cup standings. Guaranteed payouts, no cuts, purses of $20 million or more. Sounds pretty Live Tour-esque to me, TP. What's your thoughts about what we're hearing? Yeah, Chris, you know, it's just, it's just a mess and, and nothing about it is good for golf. I mean, you know, I, I mean, when, when, when I turned pro originally playing played and, and all my friends played and we chased the dream, we never played for the money. We, you know, we played, money was a byproduct. We played to win golf tournaments and, uh, and this whole thing is such a mess. It's, it's just, it's ugly on every, on every front. It's, it's, it's ugly what Liv has done. I don't think the tour has responded particularly well the way they've reacted. Uh, it's, it's created division between, you know, guys who are actually good friends and have played together for long periods of time. There's just, there's just, I just don't see an upside to any of it as far as what it's done to the game and to the fans watching the game. Tom, have we underestimated this thing? I mean, you go back to the early parts of this year, right? When we we're talking about this live tour thing, ah, people are like, ah, It'll never get off the ground and it'll never see the light of day. And then it sort of progressed to, well, you know what? None of the top players would ever go over there and play. And then it was, well, you know what? They had to fill out the field with amateurs. 
They're not going to get enough guys to play. No one's going to watch. And now it's sort of like every week it seems like there's another one or, or two players trickling over there. Were we wrong? Was was everybody wrong about what Greg Norman had in the allure, whether it's the allure of the money or whatever people want to say their reason why they're willing to go play over there? But did we underestimate it? Well, a couple of things you didn't underestimate and you were correct about. It. Nobody did really watch because <laughs> there was no really place to watch it other on YouTube. Other than on YouTube. Um, and as far as being a golf tournament, I don't consider 54 holes with no cut an automatic payday as a golf tournament. That's just a glorified outing. So um, we didn't underestimate the fact that it's really not a golf tournament. It's it's a it's a money grab. So it, let's so let's call it what it is. They're not golf tournaments. And we shouldn't call them golf terms because they're not golf terms. They're, they're money grabs. Um, I don't know anybody, myself personally, and I, I, you know, I'm in touch with a lot of golfers that watched one shot that was hit during the first event. I, I don't know anybody personally that watched any of it. So did we underestimate the fact that people would be greedy and take the money? No, I don't think we ever underestimated that. We knew there was going to be, there were going to be a portion of the professional population that, that, Said, listen, I, I gotta, I gotta grab it while the grabbing is good, and and they did. And it's, it's, listen, you probably could have sat down, you and I at a table, and if somebody said, you pick the twenty guys that are going to go for this. We probably could come up with the right twenty names, um, who's gone and why they've gone. Um, does it have, does it have legs and momentum? It has legs and momentum in the sense that it's hurting the PGA Tour. It's hurting a product that's been established and run very well and done great things for charity for a lot of time, for a lot of years. Uh, and provided the guys have a place to play and develop their skill. Um, but I go back to what I said at the beginning. I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call them golf tournaments. They're, they're events of some kind, but they're not golf tournaments. Tom, I had Kip Henley on the show a couple of weeks ago and Kip talked about how the PGA tour players may be the most underpaid athletes in sports. And as you know, with Major League Baseball and NFL contracts, we're used to hearing about players signing all the time for 10 years, 300 million, you know, 200 million guaranteed. And then Liv came around and they sort of followed that model. They're giving guys, a, you know, $100 million, $200 million signing bonuses. And those guys are still going to get paid every week. Do you think that in in a world where we are used to seeing those kind of crazy contracts now, these young kids, you know, the guys that are just coming on tour, the 22, 24, 26-year-olds that read every day about an NFL or major league player signing a crazy contract, and then seeing what Liv is willing to do, foregoing the, I, I want to win a major, I want to go down in PGA Tour history, boy, they're seeing the money and they're seeing the contracts. They're, you know what? Yeah, sign me up. Is there a question there? <laughs> I'm just saying, if you see the young kids that are used to seeing athletes get paid a ton of money, and you don't get that on the PGA Tour, right? It's the meritocracy. Right? You either you win or you go home, and if you go home early, you're going home with you know ungats in your pockets. So, could they be looking at an opportunity to go make guaranteed money over the PGA Tour, and that's what the allure is to we could see more young guys go do it. And Chris, we're talking about the Live Tour in the same exact time frame and time period that we're talking about in college sports, name, image, and likeness. Um, the world has changed tremendously in the last 24 to 36 months, and I don't think for the better. I mean, I, I don't think you can compare the golfer historically to the baseball player, the basketball player, the football player. 
It's a different animal. It always has been a different animal. And maybe, unfortunately, sooner will not be a different animal. Um, I'm going to go back to what you and I said off air a little while ago. When I turned professional originally, I didn't turn professional because I was trying to make a million dollars. I wanted to win golf tournaments. My goal was to win, you know, as a professional. And everybody I played against, their goal was to win golf tournaments. And the dream was of every golfer that even got close to that level of play was to win a major or to make their imprint of golf history. So this generation is looking at it entirely differently. And maybe for that, uh, and maybe for that reason, I'm a dinosaur and guys of my generation are dinosaurs. And I, I'm sure that if Mr. Palmer was alive today, he wouldn't be really thrill, thrilled with the live tour or the live tour idea or the defection of players. Um, so maybe I'm the wrong guy to comment it, but it, it's not my cup of tea. It's not, I don't think it's good for golf. I don't think it's good for the history of the game. And, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm saddened a little bit that the PGA Tour has to resort to trying to, you know, one up them or try, or try to one up them. It's just, just holding their place. Um, it, it's, it's not good. It's not, it's not healthy for the game. Tom, let's switch gears and talk about uh, maybe happier things. And uh, we just had a very exciting U.S. Open. Matthew Fitzpatrick, Will Zalatoris, Scotty Scheffler. Those guys put on a great show during the final round and coming down the stretch. What did you think about what you saw at the country club? Well, I was I was thrilled to see a, a really old line golf did, first of all. The country club really did themselves proud in the way that golf course handled the, <laughs> handled the world-class players. And I think I agree with you, Chris, a thousand percent. The players, in response, put on a hell of a show. Um, just it was it was exciting. It was uh, it was nail biting. It was real real quality golf under really difficult circumstances. There were some incredible golf shots hit, and 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 it was drama right to the last green and the last putt. Um, Salatoris is uh, is has done himself proud several times to come up empty. I think it's just a matter of time. And, and Matthew Fitzpatrick, the storyline of staying in the same house, staying in the same bed, and, and winning the amateur and the open on the same golf course, uh, it's like fairy tale stuff, you know, really, really fairy tale stuff. And, and Scotty Scheffler and, and the guys right around that area, and John Rahm, and, you know, just, just played some really quality golf. Uh, it, it, was, it was one of the best opens in a long time, I thought. And Tom, the shot Matthew Fitzpatrick hit, from that fairway Woo! bunker on 18. Woo! I'm not sure I've seen a better approach shot on a 72nd hole of a major. Maybe Sandy Lyle shot in 88 at Augusta National. But that was a heck of a fairway bunker shot. You know, we can go back to the shot hit on 18 at Hazeltine or the shot at Oak Hill. And, you know, I'm going to let you name those two players, Chris, because you're a golf historian. You should be able to come up with those. Uh, Rich Beam, um, the shot he hit coming down the stretch. Um, but that's going to go down as one of the all time. It's going to go, you know, it's going to go down as one of the all time greats. That shot. I mean, that I, I've played the golf course. I know what those bunkers look like. I, I know where he was on 18 and, and that was not a shot with a stain of heart right there at all. Uh, I think in a lot of respects, if you compared the bunker shot he hit there on 18 to one Sandy Lyle hit. I thought Matthews was more difficult in a lot of respects. Uh, the proximity of the lip, um, and what he had to negotiate there, I thought was even more difficult than Sandy's shot. But uh, just an incredible, incredible golf shot 
at that exact moment in time under that pressure, it, it'll it'll be replayed for a long time. You mentioned Will Zalatoris a moment ago. He's clearly one of the best young players we have in the game. He's now finished second three times in a major. If he's Tom Patry's student, what are you telling him Sunday night after coming in second again? I'm telling him to do exactly what he's been doing, not change a thing, uh, and not listen to the pontiffs out there that are going to slam him for this, slam him for that. He's, he's hitting too many quality golf shots, um, key junctures, and just getting beat by somebody who just played better that week. Um, you know, not only has he finished second on, uh, in three majors, because he's, he's been snake bitten some regular tour events too, right down the stretch. This time is coming. And, uh, and listen, let's keep in mind, he's a youngster. He's got a lot of golf ahead of him. Um, I, th- I think he's gonna, he's gonna break through soon and, and, and have a wonderful career. He's, he's a hell of a ball striker. Um, he's got a few things to figure out with the putter, but he's, he's really close. I mean, obviously very, very close. Uh, the score says that. Um, but I would tell him to change absolutely nothing. And speaking of guys knocking uh-huh. on the door, Matthew Fitzpatrick's caddy, Billy Foster, he's been on the uh-huh. bag for a number of runner-up finishes over his 40 years caddying. He's been on the bag for guys like Seve and Lee Westwood, Sergio, a few times for Tiger. Unfortunately, not when Tiger won a major. But he had never been on the bag for a win in a major until Sunday. That's a heck of a feel-good story as well. Yeah, really. Billy Foster's a, one of the, one of the great bag toters in the world in the history of the game. Actually, you put him up there with, you know, just about anybody that, that, that's known in that, in that craft. Um, and, and as a professional in what he does and, and couldn't have been any happy for him. But I've had the occasion to meet him on a couple of occasions, um, during my study time. Um, and he's just a likable guy and, and really works hard in his craft. So it was, it was nice to see him on the right bag at the right time. And Tom, one question that, I heard from a lot of fans last week was how could players that have been suspended by the PGA Tour be, be, be out there playing in the U.S. Open? And what fans don't realize is the PGA Tour doesn't run any of the majors. Talk about that. Yeah, they don't. You know, obviously we, we know, oh, many of us don't know that the uh, U.S. Open is run by the USGA, the Open Championship by the RNA, the PGA Championship by the PGA of America, and the Masters by the U.S. National Membership. Um, so the PGA Tour does not control the four majors unless you consider the, you know, tournament players championship, the fifth major, which a lot of us do. Um, so I thought, and, and I was dead wrong, uh, maybe it'll change in the future, but I don't see it right now. I thought some of those organizations would line up behind the PGA Tour and support them. And clearly they have not, uh, which makes this thing even more divisive. So we're in a we're in a very very interesting time, Chris, with with a lot of possibilities and a lot of different storylines, and none of us really know how this is going to play out exactly. Um, but again, the, the thing that saddens me as a golf professional and as somebody who cares about the game, both on the amateur side and the professional competitive side, is we are divided right now, and, it, and it's not pretty, and, and it's and it's it's not good for golf. Tom, you and I have been pretty hard on the USGA over the years for how they've let some of the courses get away from them and the setup of a U.S. Open like at Chambers Bay in 2015 and Shinnecock Hills back in 2004. But like you mentioned, this weekend was spectacular. It feels like since Michael Wan has taken over for Mike Davis, things with the USGA have vastly improved. Are you more optimistic now or are you still in wait-and-see mode? 
I'm a little bit in wait and see mode. I'm, I, I think they did a nice job at Brookline. Uh, it was clearly one of their best opens in a long time. Um, you know, I, I don't totally, you know, I, I was not a Mike Davis fan, but I don't totally slam Mike Davis. They got some very unusual circumstances and a couple of those things that happened, uh, like the putting surface at Shinnecock that year and so forth and so on. We can go back and point our fingers on all different things. Weather is always a factor. When you stress a golf course that much in, in, in summertime conditions, uh, if, if you get a, a little bit of a wrong weather situation come through, whether it's a lack of humidity or a lack of rain or, you, you know, you just, you want to, you want to push the surf grass to a, to a, a tipping point. Um, you're always running risk, um, of it getting away from you. Um, and certainly Mike Davis was at the helm a couple of times when that happened. It could happen to anybody in that circumstance with, 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 with a, with a, in a blink of an eye. But clearly Mike Warren has done, Mike Warren has done a nice job so far. Um, I'm still in wait and see mode. Tom, you've got one of your students coming up playing in the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. Talk about her. Yeah, Chris, I, I have a, a young lady, Megan Francella, who, who was a student of mine since the time she was 12 years old. She's, she's 40 now. She had a successful career on tour, won twice on the LPGA tour, actually her third event on tour. She'd be on it with Sorenstam in a playoff in Mexico City, uh, was an All-American in North Carolina, won the ACC's in North Carolina. Um, she's been away from competitive golf for nine years, uh, and is now a teaching professional at the Philadelphia Cricket Club. They should be very proud of her. Via the uh, LPGA National Championship last year, she, as a club pro, she finished fifth, which got her into the KPMG. So she's playing her first major in nine years. I just spent three years at Congressional with her, uh, working through the practice rounds with her. Um, she played last week on a sponsor exemption at, um, the shop right and missed the cut by a shot. She had 74-69, missed the cut by a shot in her first event back in nine years. She's really swinging at a good Chris. Uh, amazingly, she's 40. She, she probably hit it better the last three days down in practice, but I saw her hit it when she was on tour. Um, Congressional is in incredible shape. They just announced it and all, you know, if you know this or not, Chris, but they announced that the, the LPGA championship, the KPMG went from 4.5 million today to 9 million. They doubled oh my. today. Uh, I think what they did is they took Phil Mickelson's money. They, they <laughs> took back from him and probably put it in the purse there. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's the richest event in women's golf, uh, 1.5 million to the winner. Uh, so I told Megan, if she, if she makes the cut and, and it's coming down the stretch on Sunday, I'll be there. And if she wins, she, she owes me a new car. So I got a lot riding on this thing. So I hope she, hope she makes a lot of 25 footers and, and, and plays her rear end off. But I'm really pulling for her. It's exciting for her. It's, it was exciting to be down there with her again. It's been a long time since we've been on a tour event together. Um, so yeah, you know, obviously I've got my fingers crossed for her. Yeah, I do as well. So I'll be watching her and rooting for TP to get a new car. How exciting. Yeah, a new car for the kid. Yeah. The white feast would go away, Chris. Oh man, that needs to go in a museum somewhere. Someone's got to display that thing. <laughs> Crying out loud. Tom, one more before I let you go. Got to get a playing lesson from you tonight. And speaking of making 25 footers, talk to me about on the putting green. Are, are you a forward press or no forward press when you're teaching your students the putting stroke? You know, Chris, I, that's a great question, actually. We were just talking about this. I've always had a little bit of a forward press in my own stroke. 
Uh, I think you're going to be very, very careful if you're going to initiate a putting stroke or a forward press. There's a very, very fine line between forward pressing in a square manner or forward pressing and getting the, getting the face a little bit open. You got to be very cognizant of how you forward press. You, you do need a trigger. I believe in triggers, both in the full swing and, and the putting stroke. But if it's going to be a forward press, you've got to be very ca- careful with what you're doing in terms of face control. So how do you how do you tell if you're out of control? How do you know if you're opening the face? Is there something that we should look yeah, at? Well, because if we knew we were doing it, we wouldn't. Sure. Well, so you know, you can. I, I use a chalk line a lot on the greens, and I'll get the line on your putter. Uh, sitting directly above the chalk line that you, you've placed on the green itself. And when you forward press, if your line on your putter doesn't remain in concert with the line on the ground, you can tell you deviated the face. Uh, and it's a, like I said, it's a very fine line, Chris. It's a visual that you got to be in, t- in tune with. Uh, and, and it's very, very important that you pay attention to it. Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you on your website and on social media as well. Chris, I'd rather talk about the fact that you guys have jumped to number two now in, in this podcast poll. Let's talk about that for a second, man. That is unbelievable. And I'm always one of the guys, uh, you know, clicking on that link and, 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 and voting. Um, it's such a, an incredible tribute to you and the show and, and all the great guests you have on and, and, and the way you tee us all for great questions, pal. So congratulations to you. Who cares about when, how they find me? Uh, I'm just so happy for you. And, 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 and I just want to get that little number one up there. So I'm going to, I'm going to load the ballot box as much as I can in the next couple of weeks. But, uh, man, it's just a tribute to what a great job you've done with this show and with entertaining all of us out here. Well, I appreciate that very much, my friend. It is really more a, a reflection of, you and who my guests are than it is anything about me, but I appreciate your support, my friend. Yeah, you're the best, pal. I, I love being on with you. There's only our 450 millionth show. Um, <laughs> they gotta be tired. They gotta be tired of listening to me. Uh, please tell Debbie O'Connell hi. Please tell Charlie Meacham hi. Both dear friends of mine and pal, you're the best. I appreciate you, my friend. I think you're the best. Take care, my friend. All the best to, to you and, and your students and to Megan and look forward to catching up with you again in a couple of weeks. Thanks, pal. Talk to you soon. See you, Tom. That is the great Tom Patry. TomPatry.com. Tom Patry Golf on Twitter and Instagram. And folks, you got to go out there and subscribe to his YouTube channel. Why wouldn't you? 150 free videos that are going to take your game to the next level. Free, by the way. Go out and subscribe, folks. He is going to do wonders for your golf game and your scores and your wallet on the 19th hole.